If you want to take your uh, copy of the Word of God, which I hope you have, and um, whether it be on your phone or a hard copy, and turn it to the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will be in the ninth chapter. You know, I'm the new hire, a newbie. Um, born and raised Reynoldsburg, Ohio, for 36 years. Spent 22 years in Florida on the South Gulf Coast. Next month, our whole family will have been back here two years from Florida and being led to, of course, this ministry, but the area of Utica, Mount Vernon area. So I'm still trying to finagle and learn all my ways around the back streets and all this, uh, as you all know, country folk, you know all these roads and, and where you're going. Half the time, I never know where I'm going. Well, I found myself last week in Johnstown and um, looking for the post office, and I didn't know where it was. And I saw this little boy, and I thought, well, I'll just ask this little boy if he knows where the post office is. So I kind of pulled over and I asked this boy, I said, can you tell me how to get to the post office? And he says, sure. He says, it's just keep going the way you're going. It's just straight down here and turn left and you'll run right into it. And I said, well, I thank you for that. I said, you know, I said, I'm the new associate minister here in town uh, for a church out, out just outside of Johnstown. I said, I hope you and your family will come visit us this Sunday. And I said, I'll show you how to get to heaven. He goes, you don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> I will tell a true story about a little boy, my eight-year-old boy, and he's home with a runny nose and, you know, the way things are today, you don't, you don't take him out to be around, you, you let him be at home for themselves. And last Sunday, he took it upon himself to get our pastor over here, and uh, he went up to Pastor Ben and he says, Pastor Ben, he goes, I want you to baptize me. He says, uh, I want a strong pastor to baptize me. <laughs> pastor Ben, you're watching from the hills of Tennessee with your family. What a great family you have. Grateful that you have the time to be away. I hope you're getting the rest that you need. Our family here loves you. We support you. Thank you for entrusting us this day. And um, just get some rest and no, if you don't come back, I will hunt you down. <laughs> I am grateful for this new chapter, this life. And I pray that after we leave today, that you'll see with open eyes, amazing grace. John chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. He made clay and with saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Shiloh, which is translated scent. So he went and washed. He came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees who asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, is he a prophet? But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, I've known that this is our son and that he was born blind. By by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he is the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, come give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. What interesting story. I've shared in the past few days that I'm not sure I ever heard a sermon on this particular passage. I know the story. I've heard it many a times through my upbringing of Sunday school and VBS and all those things. But we're going to have an actual history lesson this morning. We're not going to have what our culture is dictating right now and critical race theory and all these things. We're going to have an actual history lesson. We're going to look back and we're going to see why this is all so significant. So hang on. Just enjoy the Word of God and what He has to proclaim to us today through His Word. Now, how is this taking place? Well, Jesus is coming in to uh, three years, three plus years of His ministry here on earth. The crucifixion is coming up. It's around the corner. He's trying to allude to that in various teachings and stuff. 
the previous chapters we find in John and throughout that Jesus is going through the region. He's preaching and he's proclaiming and he is doing miracle after miracle. And the people are coming in droves and groves to see this man, this one that does all the miracles, this giver of life, the one that can change it all, do it all, be all, because he's king of kings and lord of lords. The world's upset. The culture's upset. The Jewish nation is upset. The religious leaders of the day is upset. He, we just find in chapter 8, the last verse, they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them as he passed by. Well, he had been in the temple. He'd been sharing. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, they could not believe this man. They understood his teachings. They understood that there was a power, but they were threatened. They couldn't handle the threat. So they pick up stones to stone him after what he had just said. That's a different sermon for a different day. But they picked up stones to stone him. And this particular passage is alluding to the fact that Jesus, being uh, fully God and fully man at the same time, in some, some powerful way, he got through the crowd without being stoned. Now, I want you to get a picture. I'm an application teacher. I, I, I want this to apply to you in 2021, and this was written over 2,000 years ago. So here, here's, here's how you apply this, and I'm cheesy. I grew up with little viewfinders, and we put in slides, and we would look at those pictures. I want you to get this picture in your head of the era that we're in, what the Jewish temple was like, what the grounds were like, what the activity is like. You've all been in places that have a ton of activity. Many of you watched a ton of activity on the TV set yesterday, a football game, ton of activity, a lot of activity going on, a lot of gathering, a lot of emotion. That is what the temple area was like at this particular time. Everything revolved around this. The people were coming and going. There was rituals. There was, there was sacrifices taking place. It was ongoing. Tons of activity. Always people around. And you always find those in need outside. You know what my question's been? Does Johnstown now know that this church exists two miles outside of town? Do they know that these doors are open on Sunday? Do the surrounding communities know that there's a body of almost 200 people in here today that, that we gather? Do they know that there's a lot of activity throughout here, throughout the week? I, I'm, I'm just wanting you to put this in perspective to the time frame that we're at. A lot of activity. The people were consumed with everything that was happening around the temple. I hope you're being consumed with everything happening around here because it's a work of God. It's not anything that any man's doing. Pastor Ben's not doing it. I'm not doing it. But God is. And there's a ton of activity here. And it requires the people that he brought in. You're not here by coincidence, by the way. So all this activity is going on. He eludes them. He gets outside the temple who does he find? Chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He comes out of the temple, ready to be stoned, and he comes across a blind man. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. This is significant, folks. It's not just a happenstance. 
We have a sovereign God. We have a God that is bigger than all of us. And he's intricate in every detail. And you're going to see it play out as we continue to go through the scriptures. The interesting thing is about what is taking place with this blind man in the Jewish culture of the day. Because it was congenital that he was born blind. He'd been that way all his life. They, the assumption would be that one of his parents had sinned. That this was ongoing. This was something that had happened in the past. That his parents were responsible. That could very well be for certain individuals. Because of venereal diseases and stuff like that that took place. A child could have been born blind. But that's not the case here. And Jesus quickly tells them this isn't about the sin. Now, why is that interesting? You've got to understand the schooling and the upbringing, and especially what I want you to understand is how the scriptures build on themselves. You go back to the time of Moses. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He is receiving the Ten Commandments for the second time. And God comes down in a cloud on Mount Sinai. And he's having a communication, a one-on-one communication with Moses. And I'll just read it to you so you can get the clarity. And I'm backing up here and I'm in Exodus 34. And verse 6 says this. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 5. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for a thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you understand the, uh, the Jewish mindset now? They've heard this all the way up through the generations about that there could be sin carried over for generations. That's not what they're talking about, though. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, I now, I have found grace in your sight, O Lord. Let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take me as your inheritance. So let's go back to the picture. He comes out of the temple. He sees a man that's born blind. They want to know who's responsible. He's telling him it's because God's at work. The generational thing that they're referring to or they're thinking about is exactly where we are today. He was given the Ten Commandments. They were supposed to keep the commandments. They were supposed to obey them. They were supposed to teach them to their children daily. Get up as you walk by, as you lay down at night. So the culture changed because they they strayed from God. Stiff-necked people. I want the inheritance. The mess that we're in in our world today is generational. And if you think this is a quick fix to turn this whole mess around... You're mistaken. It took generations to get us to this point. It's not going to be a quick fix to fix it. But I know who can. I know who can open the eyes. I know who can open the spiritual eyes. 
we're going to see an incredible miracle. We're going to see an incredible understanding of Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man. But more importantly, are the people of the day, the religious leaders of the day, are their spiritual eyes going to be open? My question to some of you this morning is, are you spiritually blind? Are you blind to the activity of what God is doing in this ministry? Are you blind to the activity of what he's doing in and around your life? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The interesting thing is, he hasn't come to a saving knowledge of Christ. He doesn't even know who Christ is at this point. All he knows is he's engaging. He's blind. He has no clue as to what is to take place. But God is being revealed. He's always going to reveal himself. I don't know who some of you are. I don't know your background. But I do know this. You're not here for coincidence. It's not an accident that you're here. God will reveal himself. He reveals himself to you. He draws himself to you. You're being drawn to him. This blind man was being drawn to the master. It is for a work that only God can do. A work that God must do. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day and night is coming when no one can work. What's he referring to? Well, Christ, God's always at work and he invites us to join him and we join him. He doesn't join us. There's a big difference there. Think about that for a moment. We join him. He doesn't join us. God's at work. Christ was sent by God to do a work that only God can do, okay? You got that? He was sent by God to do a work that only God can do. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is he knows that his time is coming up, that he's got a short amount of time before the crucifixion. Now, things change when the crucifixion happens. When Jesus' body leaves this earth, it changes the perspective and the way that God works in and through his vessels, Okay, through the Holy Spirit. What he is saying is the light is shining right now. His light is shining right now. Jesus has just, two chapters earlier, he stood before these same people that want to cast him out, and he says, I am the light of the world. That brought on a whole different issue and argument with the people in and of that at that particular time. But he is the light of the world. We had an interesting conversation on Wednesday night that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a sun because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light. He says that. But what's happening here is he's referring to that he's only got a short amount of time left. He's always talking and teaching in parables. I'm the light of the world. But he's also referring to the fact that this man, for the first time, is going to see light. He's going to see light. His eyes are going to be open to something that he has never witnessed before. <laughs> when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. All right, hang on. Here comes a history lesson. Back in June, I had the opportunity to speak for the very first time. By the way, this is my second time, and I'm a nervous wreck. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But what we discussed the first round was the creation. And we talked in the book of John, the first chapter, how Jesus, um, was everything was made in and through him. Okay? 
through creation. We went back and forth. We won't look at that again. But that's all there in the scripture for you to do your homework. Look at John chapter 1 or look at Genesis 1 at the creation and see how God did everything through Jesus. Now, what we're seeing here in this particular passage, I can't say for certain. And, and scholars uh, are not 100% certain what is taking place here why Jesus actually spit on the ground, why he actually took mud and, and, and made uh, a substance and put on his eyes. I have to believe he gave him eyes. I don't think he had any. I think Jesus the creator. Jesus the master of the touch. I think he reached down into that clay like he did when he created us in his image, that he gave him eyes. He gave him a freshness. But then he gave him a command, go, sin. He says, um, <laughs> go wash in the pool of Shiloh, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Hang on to that thought a minute. Probably gives him eyes. Like I said, I don't know that for certain. He could have had eyes and they were blind and they could have been there. The interesting thing is, he did this. He sped on the ground. And then he gave him a command to go to this particular pool. Well, why is that even mentioned? What's so special about the pool? It's very special. You've got to dig in Scripture to find out how God builds on himself and what God's doing. What's so special about the pool of Siloam? Well, it's very interesting. It's right outside the temple. It's right outside the temple. This man, where was he? Right outside the temple. I've often wondered, it doesn't tell me how he gets there. You know, he's blind. Who takes him? How does he know his way to the pool? It's in close proximity. It's a close thing. That pool is there. What's the history on it? Clear back in, in 2 Kings, I believe it is. King Hezekiah, 8th century now, we're going back a long way. Eighth century, King Hezekiah. He's given 15 more years to live. Okay? Isaiah's a prophet. He has this waterway, this pool built in the eighth century. He taps into a stream. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. It's G-I-H-O-N, however that is pronounced. That stream, that flowing waterway of fresh water, he taps into that. But then he and whatever the architectural people that he has of that day, the technology, I want you to think about the technology that goes into this. In the 8th century, they hew out rock, eight, uh, 2,000 feet of rock to tap into this stream that it would flow down the Kedron Valley and come into the southeast side of Jerusalem, the city of David, where the temple is, very near the temple. And he did this so that Jerusalem would have fresh water. It goes through a tunnel, 2,000 feet of rock. Now, they hewed that out back in the 8th century for this stream to come in of water, fresh water. And they make a pool that is 53 feet long, 18 feet wide, and 19 feet deep. And this waterway feeds that, that journey, 
into Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has fresh water. Now, let's go to 600 years before Christ. What happened 600 years before Christ? The Babylonian siege. The Babylonians come in and they take over Jerusalem. They destroy the temple walls. They destroy the temple. They take over even the Polish Lilom. And there's destruction. Then you go to Nehemiah. Seventy years later, after the destruction from the Babylonian Empire, you have Nehemiah come on the scene. And what is Nehemiah's role? Nehemiah rebuilds Jerusalem, rebuilds the temple walls. But part of his team and part of his leadership is to redo the pool of Shiloh. So, one of the fresh waterways, at one time the only fresh waterway into Jerusalem, why is that significant? You've got to keep the whole picture in realm. He's at odds with the Jewish leaders of the day. He doesn't, he's always, they're trying to always understand what Jesus is about and why he does things. Why is this significant in the ninth chapter of John that he go and wash in that pool because of this? As a matter of fact, you can turn back a couple pages if you want, and I'm going to uh, be in the seventh chapter. Um, there's a feast of tabernacles that came very evident in the time of Jesus. So why is the pool of Shalom so interesting at the time of Jesus? It's because of the feast of the tabernacles. It's an eight-day ritual. Eight days. That, again, I want you to get this picture. All this activity around the temple, all this activity, for eight days they're celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. The priest, each morning, takes a pure gold uh, vase or bowl or whatever that they use, but it's pure gold, and he goes out early in the morning, and he goes to the pool of Shalom, and he gathers water. And then he comes in to the altar, on the west side of the altar, and he pours that water on the altar. Another priest takes wine and pulls it, pours it on the other side of the altar as a drink offering of salvation, water. Well, how's that significant? I don't have my glasses, so bear with me as I, as I find this. This um, Anyway, I, I'll, I, I'm going to do it from memory. I wanted to read it word for word. But on the eighth day, on the eighth day, this is where it gets significant. Jesus stood up at that moment and he proclaimed, I am the living water. I am the well. I am the life. At that moment when all this ritual is taking place, can you even imagine what they thought as he stands up on the eighth day of this? 
The interesting thing is, as the priest is bringing the water, okay, as the priest is, priest is bringing the water, the people, the crowd, the multitudes, they're chanting and they're singing the Hallelujah. The Hallelujah. What is that? That's Psalm 113 through 118. And verse 118 starts off and says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. So throughout this whole time, as the priest is bringing that water, that's what's being chanted. And on the eighth day, there's no water poured, but Jesus stands up in the temple in front of everyone. And he says, I'm the living water. Anyone who drinks from me will never thirst again. It's very powerful. So you go back to the story of the blind man. And he says, go and wash. He goes and he washes and he comes back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was the blind said, is not he who said and begged? Some said, it is he. Others said, it is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how are your eyes open? And he said, and he answered and said this, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Shiloham and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Think about that a minute. He comes back, he's seeing. The people around, oblivious, some of them, to that this is a guy that Jesus is healing. I find it fascinating. They want to turn and close their eyes to it. They don't want to see the miracle that's before them because, hey, it is. It's an unusual miracle. It's fascinating. They want to turn their eye away from it. Some of them are saying, well, yeah, that's him. He himself says, yeah, it's, it's me. I just did what I was told to do. Ooh, there's a thought. Do you do what Christ tells you to do? That, that's a whole different thing right there. He did what he was told to do. His first thing, he went and washed. He came back seeing. And then the disbelief. One of my prayers over decades has been, Lord, help me open my eyes and help my unbelief. I don't know where your belief is today. That's between you and him. But I pray that your eyes will be open to the miracles of Christ and to all that Christ can do and that you won't be oblivious to it, that you won't just sit and not pay attention to what's happening as God's at work. That's what his friends were doing. Some of his friends, some of these people, they knew him. And they, they, they had to have a conversation with him. But here's where I find it very funny. They said to him, where is he? He said, how do I know? He just got eyes. How's he supposed to know where he's at? Don't you find that funny? They're asking him, where is he? How's he supposed to know it? Then they brought him to the Pharisees. Now, now it really gets all the bickering. The Pharisees don't want any of this because what happened? It was done on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus did something to ruffle the feathers. He's always doing something to ruffle feathers. See, when a life has changed, it's going to ruffle feathers. Because you know why? Because that life is now going to spend eternity all with Christ. And it's no longer uh, to be living for itself. It's to be living for Christ. There's going to be feather, feathers ruffled. And Satan, he's going to hate every minute of it.
Guys, it's time. Uh, would you play the video, please? I want you to see Nick. A young man by the name of Nick. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces. And I want you to know when you fall down, God's grace is sufficient. God's hand will come down and pick you up. Give me the strength to get back up. In the first seven years of ministry, God opened up doors for me to speak 2,000 times across 44 countries on six continents from university campuses, 40,000 students in China to India, where we're talking to sex slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica, where you see the leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus. To Korea and speaking into the next generation about depression and suicide and to Eastern Europe where we did Serbia, Slovenia and Croatia. And then doors in the Middle East, the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world. That is God. And we know We've just begun.
God doesn't make mistakes. Each life has a purpose and a plan. Have you thought about your life, what your purpose and your plan is? Have you thought about what you may need fixed? Amazing grace. He opened the eyes. The man's story continues. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you understand how important those couple sentences are? The blind man wasn't looking for Christ. The miracle had happened. Christ went looking for him and found him. <laughs> Do you believe in the Son of God? Question. Invitation's simple, folks. Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? His eyes were open. He was seeing light for the first time. He was standing in the presence of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he didn't even know it because his eyes were just open and he didn't know what Jesus looked like. He said to him, he said, he, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said this, a simple answer to all. You've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Do you believe? Where's your unbelief? Do you need help in believing? Do you understand the power that Jesus has to open eyes for all of eternity? This man was created for the glory of God. He spent, yeah, many years in blindness for the glory of God. Now he understands who God is. He's met the Savior. He knows where his eternity is going to be. He's going to be forever sealed in heaven. The amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, our eyes need to be open. Thank you for the miracle. Thank you for the gift of life. Father, I pray right now, as your spirit moves among this place, that lives would be changed for all of eternity because of what you do and what no man does. Father, if anyone here doesn't have that relationship with you, I pray that you're speaking to them, you're drawing to them right now, that you are being revealed. You seek them out. You draw them. 
Father, that they would understand that not all their problems are going to be fixed, but they can have a peace, they can have an understanding, they can have a joy, a product that only you can give. And Father, the understanding is only what you can give. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And you have said that I have come, that you may have life, and that you can have it to the full. Father, help us, those that have the spiritual blinders on, that we're not seeing the activity of you in and around our lives, and that you're wanting us to be on journey with you, and that you're not on journey with us. I pray right now your spirit is speaking to those people. Father, that their eyes can be on target of what you want to do in and through them. Father, for those that need to surrender fully, all of us need to surrender more fully to the power and the depth and the knowledge of you, our Savior, that we can experience all that you have. Father, this is about you. This is about your way. This is about your drawing. This is about your relationship with each and every one. Turn our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.